nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scoured the globe with top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So welcome back to the Matter Over Mind Experience. I'm your host, Master Trainer and Weight Management Expert, Narado Zico Powell. And today I have for you Lady Carnivory, certified health coach and recipe developer. Now, we know her as JC, you know, but of course, Lady Carnivory, that's her official handle. She's uh she has an interesting story. She was diagnosed with SIRS. Um, people know what that is, it's uh mold toxic in November 2019. And after years of um chronic illness. She had a slow health decline over her lifetime of being diagnosed with chronic illness that could never really be resolved, quote unquote, healed by holistic health care and diet alone, which honestly, especially with listeners to this show, know that diet alone or quote unquote health care doesn't they don't really work by themselves. Right. We have to put things together and we're going to discuss that as we get through this interview. But. After years of a continued health um, decline and still fighting easy weight gain, she started uh, researching other ways, diet control ways, right? Or weight control ways. And said diet control ways, always to control her weight, which led her to keto and then eventually the carnivore diet. And by the way, as I'm, I cycle keto. So while I'm recording this, this is my month, this is my month of keto. And as I'm recording this episode, I am in ketosis, just to let you know. Um, that's just an interesting side note. But the hack of this episode, uh, she's going to recommend give you some top recommendations for people recently diagnosed with SIRS. But before I bring her on to the show, I want to talk about Mandalorian a little bit, because right before the episode, before this one, I had it with, uh, with Damon. And um, he's the CEO of Natural Labs, Natural Cure Labs. And we talked about Mandalorian. And um, it's when um, JC can add on to this if she cares, if she feels to, but it can be beneficial for her health. In fact, research shows that Mandalorian is an effective killer of bacteria. I actually came across a 2003 study um, published in the Journal of Medicinal Food, and it confirmed um, the results and of other um, vitro studies that show the antibacterial power of manolaurin. Now, we know the benefits of MCTs, we know the benefits of um, coconut oil, but manolaurin being the end product of, um, of um, ingesting coconut oil can have even more benefits for you because it bypasses that initial digestion. So it has the final product that your body actually needs. Even though I still do believe in taking coconut oil, of course, but you want to think about adding Mandalorian to your diet. This is something to consider. And um, you can go to the Zico recommendation page and also use my code Zico Health to get uh, 10% off um, their products as well. And with that being said, let's welcome, I should say, JC or 
Lady Carnivore to the show. Hey, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And with that being said, from what I, other than the intro that I put in there, tell my audience about yourself. Well, I think I have a very standard story. Um, grew up with the standard American diet. I was always, um, this is kind of interesting. I was always really lazy as a child. Like I would go to the greatest lengths to get out of PE, like anything I could, I would fake injuries, fake passing out anything to get out of PE. Um, but as I got older and I became less physically able, um, I had a lot of joint pain. I just had this craving to pursue fitness and it was like the worst timing, right? Where it's, I'm my least able to pursue it. And I'm at this point of like motivation of wanting to do it. And so that was what kind of led me to start looking into alternative diets. Um, I had a coworker say she was going to start this crazy new diet. It was super high fat. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to kill yourself. So I went on PubMed and I was like researching keto to try and prove to her that it was going to be bad for her. And I found study after study talking about how it reduced joint inflammation. I was like, well, dang, I guess I might try this. Um, so I started keto that was back in 2017, actually. Um, and that was a really good experience for me. For me though, personally, I find it really hard to maintain a keto diet because it's so black and white, right? Either you're in your carb grams or you're not. Um, the difference for me with carnivore has really been not having to track. I think of it as a food source diet rather than a macro diet. I think that inherently it leans more keto than any other type of diet, but um, it's just been life-changing for me. It's been really incredible. So and for, make sure my audience is clear on this. What when you're on a carnivore diet, are you allowed to consume any plants? If you are, what are some that you may be, may be able to? You know, that's going to be really bio-individual. Um, that's a really hard question to answer. I think that personally, I have a lot of mental health benefits I get from carnivore that I would not have if I did regularly include plants in my diet. Um, so for me, I don't think it's worth it. But for other people, you know, especially for athletes, they might find that having some carbs is beneficial to them and beneficial for their training. Um, but again, it's going to be really bio-individual and different people will be sensitive to different things. So I don't even think you could say like this plant is more or less toxic because that toxicity isn't generic. It's going to be dependent upon the person. Perfect. That's the perfect answer. Good. That's exactly what I was looking for. Cause, um, Sean, I think it's Sean Baker, I believe, uh, or is it Paul Saladino, the father of the carnivore diet. Uh, he, he mentioned something about, um, you can add them. Um, some can add mushrooms or some vegetables and stuff like that into their diet. Even if they are, they follow the, you know, a, car, a carnivore lifestyle, necessarily a carnivore, a carnivore lifestyle necessarily. So I, I love the way you answered that. Cause that's definitely true. And I definitely agree. Now let's talk about SIRS a little bit. What's your experience with SIRS and what uh, symptoms have you experienced? Oh, so SIRS is uh, 
an acronym for chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And what it is, is it's when you have a genetic predisposition to being really terrible at eliminating biotoxins from your body. And there's a few different genetic susceptibilities and there's a few different biotoxins. Um, for me personally, I am susceptible to mold among other things, but mold seems to be the biotoxin I experienced. And um, that really led to a rapid health decline for me. Different people will have different experience with SIRS, it's really an um, illness that targets your weakest link. Um, so for me, it turned out to be a genetic predisposition to it's a spondylarthropathy. It's called ankylosing spondylitis. Um, what it is, is the gradual fusion of my hips to my spine. But I have a bunch of peripheral symptoms that are more generic to SIRS. A lot of people with SIRS will have weird pain, like just unexplained, odd pain that they can't really rationalize. Uh, there's some other weird ones too, like static shocks. You become unable to regulate electrolytes because uh, something called the antidiuretic hormone is regulated by something called the melanocyte stimulating hormone. And as you, um, as your SIRS kind of progresses, you lose the ability and the, um, the, levels of MSH that you would need in order to produce the ADH. And so you'll experience like random static shocks. Like I'll just be sitting in a room with a bunch of people and the entire room, like anything I interact with will shock me, but everyone else is fine. Um, a lot of people with SIRS will complain. And this is something I experienced too, that you just feel like <laughs> you feel stupider than you were before. It's like, it steals your brain and it steals your cognition. It's not even like brain fog, but it's like a combination of brain fog and like what I imagine ADHD is like, and that it's really difficult to focus on one thing for an extended period of time. Um, so I think it's interesting, especially considering like people with long haul symptoms typically have that complaint of, they just feel like they don't have their brain the way they used to. Um, so that I have to say is my least favorite SIRS symptom. And that's impressive. I think given the amount of pain I've been in, you know, when you thought you said the, the shock, I was thinking about that song, she's electric. Woogie, woogie, woogie. <laughs> I <laughs> I <am>. <laughs> You know, I used to, my parents used to listen to that all the time when I was a child and somehow it just started replaying in my head. I'm going to so, have to listen to it after this. <laughs> but uh, when were you diagnosed and uh, how did your diagnosis make you feel other than quote unquote stupider, I guess? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's been a long journey to this diagnosis. I was originally just diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis because um, a lot of people have autoimmune diseases. And it was just really weird how I wasn't really responding to any of the medications. Um, so I was actually diagnosed with chronic inflammatory response syndrome in April of this year. So prior to that, it was ankylosing spondylitis. And then just recently, the chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And for me, it was a hope I never thought I could have. I think anyone who has an autoimmune condition might feel the way I did, where it's just, it feels hopeless. Like you were born with this, you will die with this. And your only option is some pretty extreme heavy duty medications. So for me, I just got to a point where I was like, this is it. This is my life. My, my quality of life was so low at that point. I was in so much pain and so immobile. Um, so to have someone kind of hand me this diagnosis of SIRS and be like, you can recover from this. Um, it was just a hope I never thought I would get to have. Ah, so then, and you kind of already in, explained this in your intro, but I want to kind of go a little bit further. How did you then 
kind of like stumble upon the carnivore diet? So carnivore for me, um, that happened back in 2020. So 2017, I started keto. Um, I had very good initial success with it. Um, it even reduced some of the joint pain from my ankylosing spondylitis, but I found it very difficult to adhere to. I am very much an all or nothing person. And so anytime I was like a gram over my carbs, I was like, well, might as well eat all of the carbs. Like I have no moderation whatsoever. Um, so eventually I heard about carnivore from Sean Baker, the Sean Baker, Joe Rogan podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like keto, but there's no carbs. So I don't have that propensity to like, be like, oh, well, I'm a gram over carbs. Um, so originally I just thought it was like easier keto and it turned out to be a totally different animal for me. It completely changed my life. Ah, so is it possible then to be in, to live a carnivore lifestyle, but not necessarily be in ketosis? I think it would be very difficult. Um, I know that with people who are keto long-term, you've just become fat adapted and better able to use ketones. So I think that it's really difficult um, when we're looking at like long-term keto or carnivore people to assess whether or not they're in ketosis, um, just because you're not throwing ketones the way you would be if you were newer at keto. Um, so I think it's really difficult for us to say like long-term carnivores are in ketosis. Cause I have noticed this trend of like longer term carnivores when they get their blood work back, their ketone bodies, like those levels are really low. Um, I still think they're in ketosis. And I think for the majority of people on carnivore, they're probably fat adapted and fat burning just because of the lack of carbs. Um, but you do have that subsection of carnivore, um, it, they call it the protein sparing modified fast where they just go super high protein and low fat, which, um, I, for very many reasons scares me a lot, but for those people, I do think that they could be running gluconeogenesis at a rate and metabolizing their own muscle at a rate where they have enough glucose to not be in ketosis. Sorry. That was probably much more long-winded than you wanted. That's actually exactly what I was looking for, because um, I think there's a lot of confusion when people hear the carnivore diet, because they think, well, isn't this really ketos? Isn't it really the keto diet? And it's like, well, not really, because for the keto diet, you have to use it stick at saying, okay, I'll stay under a certain amount of carbs and I need to stay in ketosis all the time versus the carnivore diet is a way of eating to where you're primarily eating meat. Let's just face it. That's really what we're primarily eating. And for most people, you're going to be in somewhat a state of ketosis, but not necessarily all the time or for, or for everyone necessarily. So I want people to kind of get that little clarification of the difference um, between the two. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, with that being said, what was uh, your initial experience with, um, with the carnivore diet? And did you find like immediate relief or did it take a little bit longer or what happened there? With carnivore, I really lucked out a lot of people and you may uh, know this from experiences with keto, like a lot of people will get like keto flu symptoms where they feel sick and awful and they have GI issues. I had none of that when I was transitioning into carnivore. I really lucked out. Um, for me, it was, I was just going to do 30 days. So I was just going to do the month of January and, um, different things happened for me at different rates. So for example, um, I was diagnosed with OCD when I was 15 and 
I never really had my brain. It was never really mine. Um, I had, it was debilitating. It impacted areas of my life very negatively. And when I started carnivore, I noticed that the obsessive thoughts kind of shrank and it was enough to keep me going. Um, so I really think, you know, when you're looking at doing a dietary approach, it's like, you need to look at the what's happening, um, even if it's outside of what you expected to happen. I started carnivore for weight loss. I was not expecting the mental health benefits, but noticing the improvements in different areas of my life really helps me to stay on track. So when you move from keto, ketosis or say a keto diet, you say not ketosis, a keto diet to carnivore, right? Um, essentially, are you saying that when you move to, when you move from, from keto diet to carnivores, when you didn't really ex experience any quite any changes, or did you not experience a keto flu, even when you moved into ketosis in the first time? Oh, I, um, I had issues with keto flu the first time for sure. Um, I was eating a lot of fiber on keto. Like I was eating a lot of very dark green salads. Um, it's just funny thinking about it now, but, um, I was surprised I didn't have more GI symptoms because of the amount of fiber that I was eating prior to switching to carnivore. Um, I would say that's the number one thing people experience when moving over to a carnivore diet is you're like completely changing how your body digests food. Most of us are very used to the narrative of eat more fiber, eat more fiber. Um, so suddenly when that's eliminated from your diet, it kind of changes things for your intestines. Um, but I didn't have any of that. Um, and the reason why I asked, asked the question in that sequence, because I was thinking that you, you move from keto over to carnivore, you're pretty fat adapted. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily imagine that I would, you would have the keto flu or anything of that, and that issue at that point, because your body's already fat adapted and you probably have more lipase than the traditional person anyway. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. That was fantastic as well. And with that being said, we get into the hack of the episode. We're going to talk about SIRS again right? So what are your top recommendations for people who are recently diagnosed? You know, even stepping just before that, I think a lot of people don't know about SIRS. So there's like a lack of awareness of it. And then I also think with a lot of chronic illnesses, there's kind of this thing that doctors do where they take what you're experiencing and just name it something bigger. So a good example would be, I have muscle pain. Okay. You have fibromyalgia. Like okay, thanks for making it a bigger word, but that doesn't help me. For chronic inflammatory response syndrome, it isn't that. This is a, it's not just renaming your autoimmune disease. What it is, is telling you why you're experiencing your autoimmune disease and SIRS can be cured. So if you look into the SIRS protocol, and the reason I'm saying this is if you look into the SERS protocol, it can seem really overwhelming. It's 12 steps. It's going to be thousands of dollars to get the treatment. It takes six to 12 months to complete the treatment. So it's, it's huge when you look at it, it seems overwhelming, but it is a solution. It's not renaming your problem. So for those people, I would just say, you know, look at the hope in it of actually getting to root cause healing and being able to cure what has been bothering you for so long, rather than just having it be another pill that you're popping to manage symptoms. And then the next thing I would say is like, really dig in and find resources that can help you. Everyone is going to respond to different material differently. For me, I'm a very visual learner. So I went to YouTube and I watched a bunch of lectures about SIRS. For some people, you know, having a 
there's this book called Mold, Surviving Mold Illness, and it's kind of like the number one SIRS book. And for the people that want to kind of relate more to someone's personal experience with SIRS, they might respond well to that. So I recommend looking into what resources are available and then consuming what feels good to you. I have noticed that SIRS typically has a lot of like very um, provider-centered information versus being like patient-centric. So it can be just very verbose and not make a lot of sense to the layman. Um, and I've put a lot of effort into learning everything I can about SIRS to make more digestible graphics, just so people can kind of understand it without having to consume 50 hours of lectures. So that would be my next tip is just really find resources. Um, and that will help you find the provider and start the treatment path. And then once you're on the treatment path, find a community, like find a community of people who have SIRS or know about SIRS. Um, it is a long process and there are going to be so many people around you saying that what you're experiencing isn't real. I think a lot of people with chronic illness can get that where it's like, I've been in pain my whole life and people are like, have you though? Um, but people with SIRS are going to relate to you so much better and be more of a support for you and be able to uh, respond to your questions from a level of expertise of their own um, symptoms and experience with SIRS. So I think it's super helpful to find a community as well. I think those are fantastic tips. Thank you so much for sharing those, JC, or should I say Lady Carnivory. Um, but and something I was thinking about as I was listening to you talk, you know, the first two um um, words there is a, a SIRS is chronic inflammatory and when it just about every disease illness we can think about is related to inflammation and mostly chronic inflammation right and when it comes to chronic inflammation of course medication plays a very can also be very helpful especially if at a certain stage and I'm not anti-medication at all but there are so many habits that can lower inflammation outside of even outside of even food and medication, right? Quality sleep, um, getting adequate sunlight. Um, believe it or not, re reducing stress, spending time with people that you love and actually enjoy being around. Oh, Mitch, I stressed that part. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, uh, like playing the guitar helped me to relax, calm myself down. You know, um, there's so many habits outside are so many habits that can be beneficial to to um to reducing chronic inflammation or chronic inflammation or, or oxidative stress so i don't even want to just think about it from just a diet standpoint but everything else we can do like you said join a community if you're in a community of people who are experiencing the same thing you can help and support each other you could that can take you so far i interviewed uh i don't remember who it was that mentioned this, that something that he realized with people who, who tend to live longer and people who don't is that people who tend to who live longer tend to have a more positive attitude. Mm -hmm. If you go to um, nursing homes, there are studies that show that people who have plants tend to live longer than people who don't. And one of the reasons is not really the plant itself, but that people who have plants have regular visitors. They're, they're sticking around for people who love who love and care for them and that positive that positivity and the fact that they have those people in their lives can help them to live longer as well so i want to think about just kind of think about all those things and with that being said um do you have anything to add that i haven't asked or you want to maybe elaborate on 
No, thank you so much for having me on. It was great talking to you about carnivore and SIRS. Oh, awesome. Now, with that being said, how can my audience get in touch with you? Are there any services that you provide? You know, drop your shameless plugs for me. Yeah, so uh, you can find me at Lady Carnivory at YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. I have a um, carnivore focused group on Facebook. It's completely free. We do two calls a week. It's called Meat Fam. And uh, ladycarnivory.com is where you can find all of my recipes. I really enjoy making carnivore easy, fun, and accessible. And I think that's really reflected through those recipes. Perfect. And of course, your information will be in the show notes. There's going to be zikahealth.com dash lady carnivory. Of course, that's what I'm going to do. You know, that's what I'm going to do. And I did it. So with that being said, thank you, Jason, for being on the show and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for having me. You too. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.